when I first decided to record this episode, I thought it was going to be a conversation about the harms of the purity culture movement. And while these things are discussed, it turned into something more. In, in this episode, I sit down with, with two medical professionals. I, I sit down with Dr. Beth Ann Travis um, and Dr. Bethany Blake of Arkansas Pelvic Health in, in Little Rock. We discuss the church and, and sex education. We, we talk about the harms of purity culture, but not only the harms, the messaging of the church and, and what it needs to change to in order to prevent some of these problems we discussed in this episode, in order to prevent them in the future. Dr. Blake and Dr. Travis are mothers, they're Christian women, they're wives, they are medical professionals who use, in this episode, autonomically correct terms when discussing this subject. The truth is, these two doctors don't just shine light on the problem, but they offer solutions that are good, righteous, just, and biblical. I hope you enjoy the episode. Cody B, you're listening to All Things True. Today, we are tackling one of the major issues um, in the church right now. We're, we're taking a look at purity culture and how the church has taught purity throughout the years. You know, the purity culture started out as a counteraction to what was going on in the sexual revolution in the, in the 60s and 70s. And while the original idea had great intentions, it snowballed into a problem that we never realized and was affecting the lives of marriages and men and women for years later on down the road because of the way, well, because of the way we were teaching purity. Um, We got away from what God's word says, tried to better explain it with analogies and illustrations that were harmful. When I was in youth group, um, I was at an event, um, and the very first time I heard a purity culture lesson was was at an event in the youth group. In in a class, I was 13 years old, and they showed a video of an individual stabbing a tomato. Um, And every time you stab the tomato, the tomato got more damaged and and they made the point of this is what's happening to you every time you have sex with a different partner. Um, painful. Right. Wow. <laughs> Terrifying. Wow. And unfortunately, those analogies, while that was probably the most extreme one I saw, they were still out there. I mean, there were you've seen them with roses. You've seen them. I've seen them with. With every, you know, everybody, if someone takes a snicker bar and passes it from the front pew to the back, does anyone want to eat the snicker bar? No. And they compare these things mm. to the bodies of young men and women. Um, and it's demeaning and dangerous. And 
and harmful. So, what is purity culture? What are the side effects that we're seeing today in the medical field from purity culture? And how can the church do a better job of explaining of what godly purity is? And today I have two very special guests. Um, And these are probably the first real expert experts we've ever had on the show. I'm here with Dr. Beth Ann Travers and Dr. Bethany Blake, how are y'all doing today? Hello. We're great. We We're so actually good. so excited to be talking about this with you today. I apologize for the long introduction. I um, love it. It was fantastic. And I uh, I want y'all to know that this is probably, for me, the most nervous I've been doing a podcast so far. Because um, y'all are experts. Experts. Um, and it's a hard topic. It's a very hard topic, Cody. Well, and I don't know anything about the pelvic floor. You're I about to where I'm teaching all of it. Pelvis? <laughs> <laughs> Everything you need to know, one hour podcast. One hour podcast. <laughs> we got this. So, how would y'all define the purity culture? What is purity culture to y'all? So, purity culture, first, I just want to say it's different than the concept of purity. The concept of purity or staying abstinent until you're married, um, we understand why that's taught biblically, um, but purity culture is separate than that. It's the additional teachings, the damaging teachings that we've taught for decades now. So it's um, purity culture is kind of, it's, it's the the way that we've taught it, it's the, that it pure is better. I don't know. It's a lens through what it's been taught through. Mm -hmm. Um, It's resulted in a lot of damage. So through that lens, we're trying to teach abstinence, but we're kind of allowing sexual abuse um, and some medical issues to do with the pelvic floor to damage marriages. As a result, you know, we're teaching, Sometimes we're teaching that, you know, within churches, we're teaching that sex is good. It's a gift from God, but don't be the stabbed tomato. Don't be the gumstick. Don't, you know, be the damaged gift box. You want to be a whole tomato, a fresh piece of gum. Um, and what that's doing is causing a lot of damage. I mean, think about sexual abuse um, survivors. There's mm. one in four people that have been sexually abused. Are they now a stabbed tomato? No. Yeah. And, you know, I just think there's a lot of damage that came with trying to teach the very basic concept of abstinence. Now we have a lot of guilt and shame around sex even within marriages, even within people that were abstinent until they got married, there's a lot of damage that has occurred. We also live in the Bible Belt South. And so there's a church on every corner essentially here. Is church bad? Absolutely not. But how they are portraying this topic, for instance, I guess, you know, in the church of Christ specifically, it could be all churches, but like I was raised in the church of Christ. So like true love waits, that whole movement of you sign this card and, um, and sex is bad, sex is bad, sex is bad, but like the body remembers what it is told. And so we're seeing a huge push in the medical community of the people who were raised in highly religious backgrounds 
were their body is telling them that sex is bad. So when it's actually okay for them to have sex, they have problems. And I'll even go further into saying at those youth group situations where they separate um, boys and girls, obviously I was on the girl side, <laughs> so I don't really know what they taught on the boys side, but on the girl side, they're teaching, you know, you got to give it to your man or he's going to get it from someone else. He's a sexual mm -hmm. being. God created sexual beings and sex is good within a marriage, but if you don't give it to him, they'll get it from somewhere else. And then, and then the woman coming from this background of, um, sex is bad, sex is bad, sex is bad. And then all of a sudden they get married and you're like, oh no, I have to give it to them or they'll get it from somewhere else. They're being blamed for pornography addiction. Mm -hmm. um, even affairs, we know that that could be both people within a marriage, but even affairs, well, I wasn't getting it from my wife. I've got to get it from somewhere else. And there's all this guilt and shame and pushing through pain and pressure because of how we're teaching it. Or, or based on like what people have seen, you know, the whole, the pornography industry as a whole oh, yeah. billion dollar industry, like multi-billions. And so if, if people have that first, if that's their only um, thing that they see first, then it, and then you take that into a marriage that, that transforms into something terrible. And no, Porn is the new sex ed. Yeah. If parents aren't teaching their kids about sex and the churches are teaching it very basic, as in uh, stabbed tomato, kids are going. Kids are curious. They're going to figure it out. And if they're Googling it, porn is what is showing up. It's the new sex ed, and it's just not an accurate depiction of what happens. And if that's how they learn, that's how they're trying to recreate it in their marriage. And mm -hmm. it's just not true <laughs> intimacy. And not only that, when you when you see porn, you're attracted to porn and. And that's all you see for for a time period or years. Um, you're training your brain to to think to to be attracted to those things. Exactly. Um, right. And then you're going to want, depending on what type of porn you're, you're watching, you're going to want that in your sex life. Right. Um, There's and, all, and all kinds many, of evidence about that. Many many porn scenes are very dangerous and very dark, and well, they're dark and and, and they're evil. Um, right. And and the church wasn't ready for the maturity of, of technology that we saw in the early 2000s. Right. Oh, um, yeah. No. And, and, and we're still trying to catch up on the teachings and teach parents how, how to get ahead of these things. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I want to ask you all this. In, in your post, and you even kind of hinted at some of these things uh, just a while ago. Um is you think you believe there's a connection between what was taught with purity culture um, and problems in the marital bed? Absolutely. Uh, as far as well, why is that? What what's that connection and and, and why is purity culture? You kind of already hinted at this, but I mean, what what are those problems? So one of the most common problems that we see is the term called vaginismus, which is the inability to have entrance into the vagina. So well, thank you for thank you for explaining that because I would yes, have no I idea what that yeah, is. I, I figured you, you know, a lot of people don't know the words that we know. So I'm going to talk about a couple of things. Vaginismus is one. Dyspareunia is the other. It's the term for painful intercourse or painful sex. Um, so those are just terms that we're going to get out of the way. When 
the body, there's a great book called The Body Keeps the Score. And it's really interesting how our brain connects to muscles in a fact of when we're stressed, how many people's trap muscles, which is the muscle like right under your head, essentially on your shoulders, you're on your shoulders. If you were going to raise your shoulders to your ears, um, that, that it holds tension. What happens in the pelvic floor is the muscle tension occurs because of some stressful event mm -hmm. or you were taught something. So if you're preached at sex is bad, sex is bad, sex is bad. Like some people can't even use tampons because their body is is listening to those words so fiercely. So wow. the really cool thing about the design of the body is that it's protective mm -hmm. and it compensates. <clears throat> and so you've probably seen many people with disabilities, amputations, maybe deaf in one ear, they're compensating with other parts of their body and they're living fine. And our bodies compensate for many things in car accidents, whiplash, for example, you've seen people and their necks tighten up and they turn their whole body to turn and look. Mm -hmm. And our pelvises, our pelvic floors do that too. And so when we've been taught our entire life that sex is bad, our bodies are protecting us against it. Our bodies are tightening and not allowing that insertion or penetration to happen, um, whether rather during sex or like for tampon use or even for gynecologic exams. And so those how we teach our body is going to um, respond to that. So that's one thing that we see. I've had a patient this year, relatively recently, and she's married and she sat in our little chair in the office and I was doing her consultation and she said, it just hurts a little bit. And I don't know, I just feel like I'm sinning. Now you have to know in the medical world, we, we um, treat all political backgrounds, all religious backgrounds, all sexual identities. And so it is not our job to portray um, what we believe about anything. It's only our job to help this situation that they're in. And so I said, well, what do you believe about sex? What were you taught? And she was like, abstinence until you're married or basically you're going to hell. And I was like, okay, well, are you married? And she was like, yes. And I was like, and you believe within the confines of marriage that sex is okay? And she was like, yes. And she's like, I just still feel like I'm sinning though. So that that's what's interesting is that when we've been told something, it's essentially a brainwashing that occurs mm. to our bodies when we're told something over and over and over. So the body's just responding the way that it needs to respond and out of protection for us. But that's not how we need it to respond. But we're teaching them if we're going to say sex is bad, sex is bad, sex is bad, abstinence and home marriage, and then you get married and overnight you have to flip a switch and like okay we can have sex now that's really challenging when you've been told something your entire life and um kind of going further into what we are taught about abstinence i understand the concept and the reason and the biblical approach but what we need to know the goals for abstinence-based teaching are less sex partners ideally the one right that you're married to um, and later sex partners, like when you're married and fewer teen pregnancies. And what we know now is comprehensive sex education, meaning the good, the bad, the pleasure, the ugly, the STIs, um, and how to have safe sex actually result in the goals of abstinence-based teaching more than abstinence-based teaching. So comprehensive sex ed, giving them all of the information actually resulted in fewer teen pregnancies, less sexual partners, 
and later sexual partners than this, who were taught abstinence-based sexual sex ed. And, and I, I want to point out here, this, this is a failure of, of churches because the Bible does address this. Um, the, the Song of Solomon is a real book. And it is an entire book about what what our sexual what a healthy sexual relationship is. Yes. Um, and we don't teach it, and we don't preach it, and we don't present it from the pulpit. And uh, growing up, I heard it used as an analogy of how much Jesus loves the church. Mm. And and while that person's heart was in the right place, he acts he absolutely abuse the context of the entire book mm -hmm. and in doing so um well he <laughs> and in doing so was holding valuable information from people that would prevent some of these things that that we're seeing mm -hmm. um that that y'all are seeing on a daily basis mm -hmm. right so y'all you said you see people from from all kinds of, of backgrounds and religious backgrounds yes mm -hmm. all kinds of walks from life mm -hmm. yes the the pain during sex the tensing of the muscles is that more common in evangelical women yes yes i can tell you for a fact six people in our clinic right now are from harding like from harding which is a church of christ based school you know highly religious fine we both went there i graduated from lipscomb another church of christ school so it it seems to be a more um religious thing that happens versus our people who aren't necessarily raised in a highly not that they're not religious but have different values than how bethany and i were raised so I'll also add this. I did my pelvic floor training after physical therapy school in Seattle and San Diego. And after these weekends of learning, people kind of ask about hard cases and someone raised their hand and was like, OK, so I have this one. She has a religious background and she was absent until she got married and she has pain with intercourse. And we've tried these few things there because anyone else had that. And I was the only one in the class from the South. And I was like, oh, that's like my whole caseload. Um, and there was a research published last year, 2020, called Painful Sex in the Bible Belt South. Mm. I mean, it's a, oh, excuse me. It is a, it's, um, it, I mean, painful sex can happen out of religious context. It is not all because of religious. Right. Yes. But we're seeing a lot of it within highly conservative religious backgrounds. And I truly think it's just because of how it was taught. Because um, when you're compared to a tomato getting stabbed, it's terrifying. Yes. Okay, Cody, <laughs> let's get even more uncomfortable. In the Go ahead. Of, you know, Bethany and I talk about all things on our social media. Um, the inability of people to understand foreplay and how women also deserve pleasure in in that relationship. Okay, but why though? I think it's because eighty percent of people's first sexual experience was porn, not a person. Yes, exactly. Porn. And yeah. so, if you're having sex with a person, you learn. Oh, if I rub this, this works a little bit better. When you're watching it on a screen, no foreplay is happening. No. no true intimacy has happened. You get immediate penetration. Yes. And that's not how women's bodies were designed. Not at all. We're like ovens. You got to preheat us a little bit. 
I and love that TikTok video, by the way. Thank you. I appreciate that. Oh, it's an oven preheating. Because, you know, the research is like 20 to 40 minutes for a woman to achieve orgasm, which is a lot longer than people think versus a male who can go within like five to 13 minutes. I think six to 13, six to 30. I was so close. Bethany, <laughs> Bethany is the researcher of the two of us, but I, I mean, so if we're if we're being real, we have to discuss that part of it also, because a lot of people come to us who can't orgasm. When we talk to them about foreplay, that's not happening because that wasn't taught like the all encompassing purity culture should. It should start from like start to finish. It should include pleasure. It should include and it. What I'll also say is within that purity culture, what we were taught is women don't enjoy it. This is for the man. And we've already mentioned this, but get, you know, get it, give it to them or they'll get it somewhere else. Mm -hmm. So these talks, the few talks that we did have about sex in the church that weren't just abstinence based were kind of like, I mean, spice it up, throw some lingerie on or yeah. something. And, and I mean, I'm sure you've heard the classic an affair is not always a man's fault because women can have affairs too, but the classic, like an affair is not always the man's fault. I mean, if his wife wouldn't have sex with him, that's probably what happened and they don't discuss what if the woman has pain what if the husband never talks to the wife all day at all and then he just wants sex what if the sex isn't pleasurable but painful i mean all of these things and we just have these basic teachings and we're not going into the and this and this and mm -hmm. this it's very basic it's wait until you're married to have sex if if a woman thinks sex is pleasurable she must be a slut and is that allowed on this podcast? She must be yeah. promiscuous. <laughs> Sorry. And no. um, I said orgasm. Okay. So, you know, <laughs> um, and you know, if he's getting, if like, you better give it to them or they'll get it somewhere else, which is also leading into sexual abuse. Yes. Within a marriage, I would say there's plenty of cases within the church of marital rape. The wife is not consenting. It's painful, but he says, I've got to get it. I got to get it. Before we go down that road, and I, I do want to go down that road, I, I want to go back to um, the uh, it's okay for women to have pleasure in sex. I, I want to point out, in case people aren't don't know this, that is what the Bible teaches. Yes. The Thank Bible you. clearly teaches that in 1 Corinthians 7. The Bible clearly teaches that in, in the Song of Solomon. Yes. It's okay for women to be sexually pleased, and it's, okay, it's great for them to enjoy it. Um, that's a wonderful, beautiful thing and what God has designed it for. Okay, yeah. don't go back well, to, to the design. Ahead, though, the design, the clitoris, the pleasure organ in a woman has more nerve endings than the penis. So you can't tell me that God designed that that way by accident. No, we we are actually women. We're kind of rock stars in the fact of uh, we handle a lot of things that men can't handle. We grow humans. We can feed that's humans. Right. That's like right. we should get pleasure also. That's and right. I'll give it to you, Cody. That was not taught in my true love weights class. No. I know. I know. Oh, can we talk about true love weights? Yes. Let's yes. Do it. Can okay. we talk about the ring? Go for it. Okay. So <laughs> I feel like because of true love weights, people are rushing to get married because they want to have sex, mm -hmm. which is probably resulting in more divorces, potentially even more divorces than yes. the population that is not religious, maybe. Um, but they're rushing to get marriage or have a special population right now of some teenagers who are having 
anal intercourse because they want to keep their vagina, uh, <laughs> uh, their virginity through their vagina. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's the, I mean, what, what even is sex? Is it penis and vagina? Is it, what is it? Because a so woman's game? body, what the, yes, uh-uh. a woman's body is going to work best with foreplay. And so if sex is penis and vagina, you know, what is foreplay? Yeah. And then there's this whole population that does soaking, which is not moving, but it's just parking the penis in the vagina. So there's so many like rules that people are trying to fall, um, follow religiously that actually don't make sense in the grand scheme. Like the, this is what our teenage population is doing because they're trying to just keep the virginity. They're trying. Uh, they're they're trying. rushing to get married or they're just trying not to let anything penetrate their vagina. Also, this is the social media age. You know, like when we were young, I don't know how old you are, Cody. But, 33. Okay, 30. So you, I mean, you're Bethany. I mean, I'm 32. So we're all right there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. um, but social media wasn't a thing until I was in high school, you know, mm-hmm. but these, these kids these days, like this generation that's coming up behind us have never not known technology whatsoever. And so they're getting their information from TikTok and from mm-hmm. Instagram. And so that's why Bethany and I try so hard to put out true information because yes. we all know medical in the medical field, people are going to Google and then they're going to come in our office and say something that's completely untrue. That's absolutely right. No, that's why I'm on TikTok. Yo, yes. To give people the truth about the Bible. That's why you're on TikTok to give people yes. the truth right. about the pelvic floor and about sex. Yes. Um, Cause that's the next generation. Generation Z is coming up. That's how they learn. That's where they're getting their information, and it's our responsibility as knowledgeable, wise adults, which is weird to say when I'm only 33. Right, right. we're uh, still not to, to put good information out there. Yes, no, you're you're spot on. Well, and and not to bash like our parents' generation, you know, that this was not spoken about. Mm-mm. I had a patient the other day who's in her 40s. And she was talking about how her and her best friend have never talked about sex. And I was, and I said, wait, are you serious? She was like, no one talks about it. And I said, I, you know, that's not how millennials work. We talk about things like we're going to, we're going to talk about them. And I feel like it's so important because if people would talk about them, they would realize that they're not the only one either suffering or struggling with this in this society. We have to be open and we have to be vulnerable. I mean, I mean, I feel like you can apply that to other topics in the church, right? Absolutely can. Drug addiction, anything, instead of just, you know, doing the sermon and you have the invitation song and someone might walk forward, maybe if they feel like they're not being judged. (laughs) Um, You know, if we actually were real about struggles, people Mm -hmm. wouldn't just try to keep hiding them, which is where it's going to thrive. Mm -hmm. And, And once again, this is something that hasn't been taught that hasn't been exercised by the church the last several decades and and at the same time it's something that's discussed deeply in scripture i mean we are to confess things to one another we are supposed to bring our problems to one another we are supposed to talk about things we're supposed to be open we are supposed to be honest because the church is supposed to be filled with people who have enough wisdom Mm. to help us through our issues but people don't um, want to do that because it may, it requires you to be uncomfortable. We have to take off our mask. Got to take, but That's being right. uncomfortable is what makes us better humans. It, it's what makes us thrive. It's what it's what um, 
makes us stronger. Vulnerability, so important. But I feel like it's so easy to put on the mask and have oh, this superficial yeah. Sunday. Hey, how are you? Great. How are you? Great. And move along. When in reality, there's suffering and addiction and true problems, but we definitely aren't going to tell our church family. I mean, we just have to change a lot of things. And I think we're on the road to that. There are a lot of people working on that, trying to change there. You know, there's this huge movement of deconstructing. Oh, yeah. Ooh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a whole another podcast, Cody. Oh, I've been, I've, <laughs> hey, we've been deconstructing this podcast for since July. Uh, well, I've, got, I've got to listen. I'm sorry that I've never listened. You reached well, out right. after a post on our purity culture to do this. And so, um, yeah, I'll have to start tuning in and go backwards also. No, you're, you're fine. We, we talk about mental health, we talk about church trauma. I love um, it. Um, what, what is the church? What is the church for? Mm. Um, do I need the church? We we break down all these ideas. We break down the in November. I spent an entire month on child care and the, and the foster care crisis. Oh, uh, yeah. in the state of Arkansas. But anyhow, we're we're getting off subject. Um, you had mentioned marital rape uh, earlier, mm -hmm. and I, and I kind of cut you off, but you were talking about how purity culture has uh, harvested this this. I don't know. Justified abuse. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, with, um, again, in these split classes, we are kind of give them what they want or they'll get it somewhere else. Um, there's the concept of what's yours is mine. Um, I know it hurts, but it was designed for this. I need it emotionally. It's good for their ego. I mean, it's, it's, um, it's manipulation. Right. With through through the Bible. Oh yeah. Trying to use the Bible as a tool for manipulation. And and a tool for for, for sexual abuse. Right. Um I, and and I don't know, like I said, you know, purity culture started out as a counteraction to what this to the sexual resolution revolution and the rise of the sexual revolution and, and the rise to the sex, drugs and rock and roll rock and roll right, that was being right. taught. Um Man, I don't know where it went wrong. It had all the great intentions, but we just said too much, didn't we? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think we went too far down um, that the giving our worth to being pure. Oh, and, yeah. I mean, we've already kind of talked about how that affects um, sexual abuse cases. But, I mean, it's all of a woman's worth before marriage is in her sexual purity. And then after marriage and sexual proclivity. Mm. I mean, we, we put so much in that not being the tomato, the gum, <laughs> the gift box, true love weights. Um, there even a way uh, long ago, which I guess it still happens, the dowries, you know, for a virgin mm. and virginity checks. So much worth was put put into that that we forgot the bigger picture of the design and how beautiful it is within a marriage. And um, I don't know the true design of sex, I guess. You had said earlier and, and you, I don't know which one it was because you both sound identical over the phone. <laughs> so, we, we get told that. so you had said earlier, one of us. Um, 
that a uh, how do I phrase this a uh, a whole education a whole sexual education that includes the dark and the light the 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 STIs the right the, yes is what's needed for someone it's it's that when someone has that type of education right um, true mm-hmm. sex education that they do mm-hmm. that they're more likely to stay abstinent until marriage right absolutely um, how does the church teach that? <laughs> right? How can so, the church teach that? I think actually in Arkansas, it is a law for public schools to teach sex ed in an abstinence-based format. And so it's public schools, but it's also churches. Churches try to tackle it because I think it's difficult for um, parents to talk about some. And I mean, sex is biblical principle too. <clears throat> But I think that churches need to talk about the science of sex, just how it happens, Mm -hmm. what goes where. um, I mean, even basic anatomy of it. But then I also think they need to talk about um, safe sex because you can't be naive enough to think that everyone, although you're hoping for abstinence, is going to be abstinent. Mm -hmm. So let's keep them at least educated to know that if they did get an STI, we don't want that to affect their fertility later. Um, and if you give them all the ins and outs, there's no reason for them to go searching for more. There's no curiosity. Yeah, no, that's what I was going to say. The curiosity component of if you're only taught that something is bad and you're not taught an all encompassing education about it, of course, your mind is going to wonder and you're going to search out or do things to figure out. Right. Or, you know, people, the, the age of now things happening is so much younger than Age we eight kids, is age the first eight. pornography exposure age on average. Eight. Like you're in third grade. Yeah. The first time I saw to... porn, I was 10 years old. Yeah, yeah. 10. You and you have 10, to start Kobe. teaching these things before they're exposed to it because if they see that, it is naturally addictive. We know that dopamine levels are released five times more dopamine than some drugs. Um, and so you have to teach them before they're exposed to it. And so that's early. My kids are eight, five, and one. The five-year-old's about to start getting some basic education. The eight-year-old has education. She knows about um, the uterus and the vagina and that uh, daddy's penis goes inside of a mommy's vagina in order to make a baby. She knows the basics of it because what I don't want is her to be exposed to and ask me about it or someone to teach her something incorrectly. And that seems young, but you have to get to them before someone else does. My three-year-old already knows that women have vaginas and men have penises. And he will say, mom, you have a vagina. And I said, yes, because also with sexual abuse, they're called all kinds of names. Mm -hmm. So how is a child supposed to tell you that they're being abused if they don't even know the correct terminology? Because we're too uncomfortable as a society to not say anatomical terms. We get banned on TikTok all the time when we say an <laughs> body part. Like you can say all kinds of cuss words, fine. But if you say you cannot vagina. wear any clothes, fine. But if I say the word vagina in a and, medical setting, in, a, in when I'm explaining a freaking pelvic model, like people are too uncomfortable and that gets banned. I'm like, why? Why? Why is this? This yeah. is why this is a problem. Well, that's a whole other conversation. Why is the TikTok algorithm broken? But. Yeah, right. <laughs> Anyhow, I, uh, 
eight years old, five years old, and, and these are the terms you're teaching your kids. Yes. I, right. I, my issue is, is if I go to the elders and say, hey, <laughs> we, need, we need to start teaching sex ed in our elementary school and, and pre-elementary school classes, well, I'm going to get thrown out the door. So, right. So, so the science of it, though, um, I think that we can leave, maybe encourage parents in parenting classes to teach them the names of the parts. But when, you know, I think when we're teaching sex ed, maybe we can start with parent education. And when we start teaching sex ed within the church, we're teaching the good, the bad, the pleasure, the medical issues, um, the true intimacy that does not exist in porn, that special effects. I have this post I put on Instagram and we reshare often, and it says, teach your kids about sex or porn will. And I have all mm-hmm. these statistics on there. And I mean, they're pretty sobering. I, mm-hmm. We already said one, the first age of pornography is eight years old. The first exposure generally. Children under 10 account for 22% of online porn consumption under 18. Under 10. Say that again. Say it one more time. Children under 10 account for 22% of the consumption of porn under 18 years old. So when you're thinking people that look at porn under age 18, a fifth of those are under 10. Fourth grade and under. And the under 10 age group is now accounting for one in 10 visitors to porn sites. Mm. And they've surveyed children um, and 39% of 13, 14 year olds and 21% of 11 and 12 year olds. So that's for, you know, let's just for easier stats, 40% of 13 and 14s and 20% of 11 and 12s said they would want to repeat porn acts and 53% over half of boys that were surveyed believed that the porn they had seen was realistic. So we have to talk about this um, porn epidemic too and stop that by actually teaching people that that's fake. It's special effects like Batman. It's not true intimacy and lean into their curiosity with truth. That's terrifying statistics. Right. Because if my word. If we're not teaching sex, they're still figuring it out. They're going to figure it out. It's coming from porn. And I mean, even within porn, there's so many things. There's evidence about the violence that it leads to. In Atlanta last year, 2020, there was a man that killed seven women, seven Asian mm-hmm. women at massage parlors because he said he was eliminating the temptation because in his classes at a Southern Baptist church, that's what they taught men or boys. They you know, talked about how they're sexual beings. And if you're being tempted, eliminate the temptation. So obviously that's an extreme case, but right. we, we well, he was, he was someone who was mentally or possibly mentally unstable. Maybe he was right. just evil given an idea and he took it to the extreme. Right. Um, and, and that teaching is not what the Bible teaches. Right. Jesus, Jesus said that if, if you have a problem, this is right. Said, pluck your own eye look, out. <laughs> if you look upon a woman in lust, you're the one with the problem. He says, pluck your own eye out. Right. Your own hand. It's better to go into uh, it's better to have eternal life with one with with only one eye than to have to, than to be condemned with your whole body. Um, no, it's 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 the person the 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 person's lusting's responsibility. 
Right. But, but kind of how they teach women, though, is kind of like that it's we have to have constant vigilance because we're responsible for someone else's sin. Right. So don't wear a crossbody purse because it makes your chest maybe more attractive. Watch your V-neck, watch your skirts. Um, I mean, so many things to wear. I had a friend recently um, post on social media. She's was pregnant, very pregnant about to have her baby. And she has a boy that's seven or eight, another kid. And she was like, should I breastfeed in front of him? Because I was wondering about like, um, I think she was wondering how to handle that, afraid that her seven-year-old might see her breast as she was breastfeeding, if that was an issue. I mean, we're taking these basic principles and taking them to such extremes that you have Atlanta. You have people wondering if they should breastfeed their children. You have people with such shame and guilt that they have pain with sex and feel like they're sinning within a marriage. I mean... You, you know, it's interesting, Cody, I'm postpartum. Okay. So I'm three months postpartum. I have a three month old and I breastfeed and I don't care who I breastfeed in front of because let me tell you this postpartum depression is a real thing. If we are only allowed to breastfeed alone, how isolating is that as a society? When I went to Africa, boobs were out everywhere and nobody thought twice about it because they were feeding a human. Right. But we we've sexualized, sexualized them here. so much that it, it becomes isolating to a mom who is postpartum, who's who has a baby, who's trying to learn how to feed and needs support. And yet we're covered constantly because up. Oh, can't look at you like that. Like, I mean, I feel like it fed into rape culture, right? Yes. The whole, but what was she wearing? Was she asking for it? Mm -hmm. um, I mean, there's just so much there that I truly think is rooted in purity culture. Purity culture has been a problem for a long time. And it's right. still within a vast majority of our churches in extreme levels. Right. What is the first step forward to fixing the issues? I would say you have to start with the parents that are raising kids now. You have to start there so that they can start at home with early and often communication and education um, with even just naming basic anatomical terms and explaining the importance of um, sex and education, even the stats about porn and the comprehensive sex education, just those basic facts, start with the parents so they become more open. And then when you're at that age where you're teaching it in the church, not just teaching abstinence only and the, and the, the tomato and the gum box and the, the gift box, not just teaching that, but also the good and the pleasure and not just the sex is good and give it to him, he'll get it somewhere else. The true pleasure when there's intimacy within a marriage and that medical issues can happen starting with parents, getting them comfortable with it and starting to teach it differently within the church. I mean, I just think open communication is the first thing. How do we, I mean, you, you mentioned a while ago that there are, I'm, and I'm, I'm not, I wrote the word down. Dis, dysporunia. Dysporunia. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, um, you you mentioned there are that that has increased among evangelical women, but women in churches of Christ, right? Um, but that's your that's your whole caseload. Um, how do we? How do I say this? 
these couples, these families are, are, are in our church. Mm-hmm. They, they are here. They are present. They are worshiping with, with us. They are eating potlucks with us. Um, and those are the ones that we know about are the ones that come to your office. How do we help the ones who are suffering with this in our church? I feel like you have to bring it up in one of your sermons, in one of your classes that you have. I mean, there's sex classes, there's marriage classes within churches. You know, there are those little weekend mm-hmm. things. Little retreat things. You have to bring up sex and how there can be issues with sex. That does not mean a woman doesn't love her spouse, right? If a man has erectile dysfunction, we're not like, oh, no, he must not love me. But for some reason, if a woman has pain with intercourse, right? Like, mm, I guess you don't love me, or or you know, something's wrong with you. You need to go get checked out. You right? might have a UTI. Like, let me punch you in the face. No. <laughs> um, I mean, I feel like it has to start with one of those sermons, one of those classes. I've had one person approach. It was a patient that I was treating. She was a wife of a um, preacher for a church locally. And she was here for just incontinence leakage. So we treat bowel, bladder, and sexual function. But, of course, we screen all the things because they're connected and related. And I was asking her about intercourse. And she was like, well, yeah, it's pain. It's always painful. But it's kind of how it's designed. And I was like, no, Mm ma'am. And kind of explained how that doesn't have to be painful. And she was in her 80s. And she was like, I can't believe this. I'm going to bring my husband in so he can explain it, too. And they actually started bringing that into their topics at church because they're just, you know, um, that's awesome about sex within a marriage, but not how there can be pleasure for the woman. And it doesn't have to be pain. And if there's pain, there's an issue. See your doctor, see your pelvic floor PT, get help because that's not part of the design. Awesome stuff. Sorry. You're about to say something. No, I don't know. I mean, we just see so many of that and it's right now more word of mouth and, Um, kind of social media outreach. I'm glad that you saw some of our posts and we connected because more people talking about it and making it more open. Sex is primal, right? Animals do it. They eat, they drink, they have uh, intercourse. And so I feel like it's, I don't know why we're hiding it. It's part of the design. It's pretty primal. I feel like if we can at least talk about it, we can figure out when there's issues. Because we were taught it was a taboo topic. Mm -hmm. So people don't want to talk about it. But I feel like the problem in the church is that we don't talk about real things that happen. I'm fine with a historical lesson, but I need to be able to like apply something to my life. And if we're not talking about topics that people are actually struggling with in your audience, we're not, we're, we're doing them a disservice. Well, I think both are important. Yes, right? I do think they're both important. And rel- yeah, uh, I'm not saying that teaching a biblical topics. lesson is not, yes, that's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that that's a bad thing, but I'm saying like the vulnerability and the realness of things that people are struggling with on a daily basis in their marriage, in life, in, um, we just have to, we have to be more comfortable talking about uncomfortable things. That's right. And, and the fact of the matter is, I, I'll go back to, there's an entire book of the Bible on this, and we have ignored it. Oh, yeah. um, yeah. We we have to go back to teaching the full Bible, the full revelation of God, for what mm-hmm. it is, because um, it's in there, and, and avoiding it is what's caused these problems. Right. Um, well, hey, I've I've absolutely loved this. We did too. Thank you yes. for having us and just trying to break things down and. Um, 
and with your other listeners too, I'm, I like the audience that you're drawing because y'all are the people that can start the change. Yes, absolutely. That's what I think. Um, if, if there's a couple who's listening or, or a married couple listening and they're having um, issues with the pelvic floor, mm-hmm. um, what are some ways they can reach out to you? So Bethany and I own Arkansas Pelvic Health. Uh, and our social media alias is at the Kegel Chronicles, and that's on Facebook, that's on Instagram, that's on TikTok. We receive direct messages or DMs all the time from people. Um, Arkansas is actually a direct access state, so you could just call or text um, 501-420-3884, and that's on our website, ArkansasPublicHealth.com. You can email from our website. Um, all avenues that you reach people, including texting, our phone number is HIPAA compliant. Even for texting, you can reach us and we do virtual appointments. We do in-person appointments, um, but we're out here doing the work. We're- well, then thank you all so much for that. Um, y'all, y'all are doing a great thing and a great service for the church and, and for the, the women in Arkansas and Central Arkansas. Um any final thoughts for we for we end our, our episode? I just think um, I'm so appreciative of your willingness to talk to us about this, Bethany and I. This is one thing that Bethany and I are so incredibly passionate about. We're actually going to write a book on. Um, Do it! I can't wait. I can't I, wait people have, people ask us or, or message us all the time about these things, and. Um, I'll tell you this. When I started as a public PT, I guess I've been doing public for seven years almost. Um, my my views on so many things were so um, are so different than they are now because of how I was raised and how mm-hmm. the environment I was in. And I um, I don't blame my family for that at all. They did the best they could yes. in, in the situation that we were, they were given and that we were given. And so I just think as a society now, um, everything has changed so much that we have to keep up some way, but let's keep up with the truth. Like let's keep up in ways that will support marriages and support people and support women. So they don't feel so isolated and alone. Like Bethany and I get asked all the time, am I the only one with this problem? No. And, but that's Satan, you know, Satan makes us feel so isolated and we have to be when we're, when we're vulnerable and we're honest and we're talking about these things so openly, so much, so much good can happen because people realize they aren't alone and they don't have to suffer and it can completely change your relationship. And I'll add sex is a part of life. It's a part of creating life. Mm -hmm. It's a part of the design um, for our bodies and within a marriage and there's no reason to suffer um, with if you have pain during sex when it could be it can be fixed and you know further than that it's it's it, sex is part of a relationship mm-hmm. um, it helps bring intimacy and closeness and we want that for our patients mm-hmm. um, for us you know within our marriages it's an important part and so when we are digging into you know, what's, what's causing this? Why are we seeing such a high population of this? We truly think it goes back to this um, purity culture and absence-based teaching. So yes, our, our job, our work started with just physical therapy. Mm -hmm. And then we specialize into pelvic health. And then when we're digging into the why and the root cause, especially in the Bible Belt South, it's going back to how we were taught and raised. And if we're getting to the root cause, we've got to get all the way in 
into the root cause, which is the purity culture. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for li- to listening to All Things True. Once again, I'm your host, Cody B. Um, if you have any questions, you can email them at perryvillecoc at gmail.com. And remember, all things were made by him. Thank you.